1: Another managerial casualty in the Premier League and former stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen will be joined by former Matilda Amy Duggan to go over the demise of Frank Lampard at Everton. It's been another compelling weekend in the Premier League title race and we'll discuss some of the biggest headlines in football, including one very close to home. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzari. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpod. Pod. So another busy, busy Geggin' pod today with former Premier League stars Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges and former Matilda Amy Duggan, who will lead us off because, Amy, in the season preview Gegenpod, pod, you did put a nice big target on Frank Lampard's head, and now he finds himself out of a job. Everton have finally said enough's enough. It may have been the right decision, but, Amy, did it take too long?
2: Absolutely it took too long. Uh, Everton is sitting in or so close or in at the moment the relegation zone aren't they they've never been relegated before he's not been able to turn this team around he's not been able to bring them together um I think I also said Everton might be the surprise packet so don't worry about my contradictory um (laughs) my predictions at the beginning of the season but yeah I did think he was one of the coaches that if he couldn't pull off a miracle in, in the first part of the season he would be gone I actually thought they'd get rid of him before the World Cup but he hung on a few extra weeks uh but yeah. Unless you're winning games and, and and doing the right thing by the club or, or at least rebuilding and having a some sort of structure behind what you're doing, you're in trouble, aren't you? And um, we wave goodbye to Frank Lampard.
1: How was there not a replacement lined up immediately? Michael Bridges, we've been uh, recording the Geggin' Pod Uh, anticipating that Frank Lampard might be sacked as soon as we hit stop and all of a sudden the pod's made redundant by the fact that we've got a big piece of breaking news straight after we record. And yet that's been three weeks now. I mean, surely Everton would have had their replacement ready to go. Instead, we we have the whole roundabout of who's coming in.
3: Do you know what you'd think that it should be? That should be the blueprint. You should be recognising who you're after, and looking at looking at other managers to come and replace. If you are thinking of making a change in manager, and I think it just goes to show that the complete disarray from top to bottom at Everton Football Club. I think the only thing that is a constant is the fans, and that is the only thing that is a sensible, you know, a sensible part of this football club at this moment in time. Uh, Alan Stubbs, next player, has just come out and absolutely slammed the leadership, um, saying that this is an absolute joke. That for one, there's no replacement in place or ready to to get in straight away. Uh, and the 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 money that has been spent has been spent tragically. So they're asking for the board to explain themselves. The people that have been doing recruitment, because this football club, like Amy has said, has never been in this situation before. And I'm I'm absolutely devastated because I'm a, I, I, I like Everton. I like what they are all about. Um, but when you're being run like a shambolic display, I've seen it happen in the past. Teams go down when it's it's a threat like this.
4: You know, I think you know you're looking at other clubs, uh, Aston Villa. You know, bringing you know Emery in uh, at the right time before the World Cup. You know, you had Lubotkevich L- 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 coming in at Wolves, and I think they totally missed the window. And yeah, you can look at Lampard's record; he deserved to be sacked. You know, 35 points in, in 38 league games is, is not good enough uh, in any. He had to, you know, he saved it from relegation, but that that was not going to last this season. Uh, but yeah, the overall mismanagement, uh, you know, the half a billion pounds that's been spent uh, and, and where have they gone on sort of average players with, with no strategy and you know they leave them in a horrible situation and, and um, yeah I think heads needs to roll and you've got a Moshiri who, who, who doesn't live in the country lives in Monaco he's trying to you know doesn't turn up for games and, and you've got a question who's in charge now the Thelwell, the, the sporting director and, and Bill Kenwright as well.
2: Yeah and when you know when you you're in your second successive relegation battle you've had nine defeats in the last 12 games you've got um Abdoulaye banned from training for the last week because they got into a blue in the dressing room after their loss and then um you know he's having to train by his own self not allowed to train with the team because it's bad for culture you know this is bigger than just the wrong coach and the wrong group of players, or, or the coach losing the dressing room. It's so much bigger than that.
1: Well, one story that has broken overnight Australian time or during the day for you, Bridgie, is that Evidence has been put up for sale with an asking price of more than 500 million. Now, it could be either a majority or minority sale of the club for Mashiri looking perhaps to get out before relegation comes to pass. Maybe the accounting and also the wage structure of the club in the case of relegation is a ticking time bomb and this is the only chance to sell it for a profit uh, or any money at all rather than simply trying to get someone else to come in and uh, accumulate the debt. Bridgie, this this seems like if Everton don't avoid relegation this year, this could be, dare I suggest, the next Leeds.
3: Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it could be catastrophic um, for the for the football club. Now, I know they're trying to sell it out. I, I think the the opportunity to, to own a Premier League football club at this moment in time is huge. We're seeing a lot of takeovers in America um, with the American consortiums, with the the, the Asian um Middle East as well it's just incredible to think but if you were if I was a wise man which I'm obviously not you'd wait until they were relegated to buy the football club and you get it at a lesser price you can you can negotiate things and try and bounce back because at this moment in time there's only one way this club is heading and that is relegation because of the state of things that are going on and I don't I I don't think many people would jump on board knowing that you're going to buy a club that is going to go down with a absolute massive wage bill the parachute payments yeah, it's all good and well, but I think this could really, really destroy Everton. They, Everton and the fans need somebody to come in and buy it now. However, I think it'll be the latter. I don't think they'll be able to sell it until they see what, what happens and where they, where they go. And that, that is the sad state that fares that with them find themselves in.
1: One thing I wanted to ask about was the manager shortlist. You know, the, the bookmakers' odds mm-hmm. generally are a pretty good indicator of who's coming in. But it seems as though there is such an ideological divide over the potential Everton candidates. Let me give you the names. Sean Dyche, Marcelo Bielsa, David Moyes, Nuno Espirito Santo, Wayne Rooney, and Sam Allardyce. So my question is, how can you have a plan when Dyche and Bielsa are the top two names? They are vastly different directions. Is that not reflective of the fact that Everton don't actually know what they want to be?
4: Uh, I, I think, you know, You know, papers are throwing names out there. They're, they're everyone who's available. I don't know how Moyes is in there. He's still got a job uh, from the weekend. Um, but, you know, it's. I think it's an overall uh, just not knowing where the club is going and what they want to do. I think they're in for a dogfight. Bridget lined it out. You know, they're in massive trouble. And they need the right manager, somebody uh, who you know you know like a dice i think he's he's shown that he can come in and and um and do a good job in that direction with um with burnley um i think they need uh, that stability and and because they are you know you, you don't want someone coming in with you know too much tiki taki uh you know soft managerial style i think they need a, a strong hand at least in the short term and uh, and But at get on the same page. I think that's, that's the big, 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 big question. Uh, and then pick their manager from there. Everton Football Club don't have, you've said
3: it too, they don't have an identity, they don't have a playing style. And like you've just said there, the managers that are in consideration, they've got nobody that's going to come in and say, well, we'll continue this trend of of style or philosophy of what's been going on. It could have been a shambles. It's basically, you know, they've been playing different positions. I think Frank was tactically out of his depth in the the Premier League. He's shown that now over a couple of clubs. He hasn't been able to adapt to a style of play where you recognise what it's about. I've seen them many times this season. And I've been more interested in Frank Lampard's mannerisms on the sideline because they've been more exciting than the football they've been playing. And I think he's he hasn't done himself any favours at the grounds that he's gone to because um, it affects the players when they're seeing their manager always arguing with the fourth official, with the opposition manager. And I'm I'm surprised it's taken this long to happen. However... They need to get somebody in and they need somebody to come in that is gonna be allowed to do what they would like to do. And this is the downfall of everything. They've got nothing in structure. They need somebody that's got the kahunas to come in and that's done it before to come and say, This is what we are gonna become. Mm.
2: As Tommy said, they need a strong hand, Bridgie, and someone that's going to get this club. Go back to basics, go play some decent football, find their style, find their identity, and build from there. And that's going to take time, and I don't think they've got the time to get out of the relegation zone to do that. So you are going to have to take a coach that's probably going to be happy to take them through uh, when they drop down and rebuild.
3: Amy, I I, I disagree. Sorry, I disagree. I think they have got time to do something about it and get out of the relegation battle in somebody that changed I've got to say Middlesbrough Football Club were taken over by Michael Carrick they were on they weren't going out of the football league in the championship they were getting relegated they're now in the fighting position to get automatic promotion he has given them and I was speaking to somebody at Middlesbrough Football Club and they, they said I'm not going to name names they said the best thing about Michael he came in he said right this is how we are going to do it and he turned up and he opened up his plan and they started getting to work he got all the staff on board so they, they, I think Everton can if they get the right person in place. Um, but again, who, who that is, we, we don't know. It's open-ended.
1: Well, that's actually what I want to ask. Let's go quickly around the panel. Who would you hire to be Everton manager and uh, take on this job to get them out of the relegation zone?
2: Is it off your short list or anyone, Tay? Because uh, one name that you didn't mention was Ange, by the way, and I want to discuss that in just a moment.
1: You can name Ange, you can name anyone Anyone.
4: <laughs> I, don't go, <laughs> I don't think
2: he'd go, but wouldn't he be great? I don't think he'd go, but wouldn't he be great? I agree. I think you need a really strong personality like Sean Dyche, um, from that list if you're going to go down that path. But it- this all comes back to who's available too, doesn't it, at the end of the day?
4: I agree with uh, you know with Amy there. I, I think Postecoglou would be fantastic. Uh, we've seen what he's done at uh, Celtic. You know he took over that club and transformed it. You know we we and and again I agree with Bridgie that you know it's not too late. You know, Emery comes in at Villa. They they were in a disarray. The results were bad. And now look at them now. They're climbing the table. They've they're they have turned it around. So. You know the squad might not be as good as Villa's, but but yeah, it's not done and dusted. So you know my pick if they can get him would be Postacoglu. I think he would be a fantastic, uh, per- fantastic uh, signing for them.
3: Yeah, Everton on 15 points, two points out the relegation. Uh, it's it's one win, so I I I still stay. And state that they can if they get the right man. Ange Postecoglou, I would love to say it. I can't because he's a smart man. He'll not <laughs> want to take this take over this team. He want he want to plan and have more say of what goes on. I don't think he'd be given license to do what he would like to do. Um, so I think the main man is they after is Bielsa. Can they get him? I don't think they can afford to to get him. I don't think he would take it. So I'm going to say that. Miss, I think Dyche. I think we'll see Sean Dyche get this.
1: And and Amy, just to clarify, if you were Ange Postacoglu and you took the phone call, you'd say, no thanks, I'll stay at Celtic?
2: I don't think he'd leave now, would you, with your next piece of silverware just sitting there nice and pretty. And as Bridgie says, I think he'd like more control over what's going on. And I don't reckon he'd want to get into the relegation scrap. I think he's the kind of guy that likes the clean sheet of paper and comes in with a plan and and builds on it and goes from there.
1: All right, let's uh, talk about the sacked Frank Lampard. Where next? I was throwing the idea out there that he used to play for New York City FC, so he has a connection to the City Football Group. Thomas Sorensen, Melbourne City needs a manager at the moment, and Frank Lampard, he still has a big name and a big reputation in Australia, even if he hasn't helped his reputation in England. Do you think there's any chance that your old club would be able to lure Frank Lampard out to Australia for a bit of reputation rehab? (laughs)
4: <laughs> you know, I think it would be fantastic if, if he would come. I don't think it's realistic. I think he still fancies himself, uh, you know, in England, uh, in Europe. Um, you know, I think he's shown over the last couple of jobs that he has his limitations and he's probably has a lot still to learn tactically, um, uh, man management as well, especially at that absolute pinnacle of of level so may, maybe somewhere in europe i think would be a, a great place for him if we can lure him uh, i'll definitely you know put a word in uh, at at the brass at melbourne city to see see what's going on <laughs> Uh, but uh, I still doubt it, though. I still doubt he will take that trip with the family and everything else. I think he'll be going on holiday for for a little while before he takes his next. next job. He'd
2: be a draw card, wouldn't
4: he? The money that he's made through his sackings of the football <laughs> clubs,
3: he could buy a club in the A League nowadays. He's you know he's he's made more money getting sacked than he has been <laughs> getting any achievements. So um, I'd like to see him have another opportunity, but I can't see it being Premier League. And I'm saying MLS if if he does go anywhere, MLS. But again, Frank swallowed his pride, and he you know we've seen him at Derby County in the championship maybe maybe somebody will have another go um, because they know how financially um, important he can be in the social media and Facebook and that kind of side of things when they get somebody it's an attraction to have a Frank Lampard at your football club um, but it's a bit of devil's advocate
2: Oh, can I just touch on something that you brought up earlier, Bridgie, and it was about his behaviour on the sidelines. Because yeah. there's another young coach, obviously that that plays uh, the sorry that coaches in the Premier League, and that's Arteta, and he is also very passionate on the sideline. Tell me the difference that you see between the two of them. The difference in their behaviour on the sideline, because one's backing his team, right?
3: Yeah, what's going on with the other one? I'd say Arteta knows what he's about. He's got an identity. He gets frustrated at his own players when they don't um, produce the goods that he wants, and I think it's just taken out in the nearest person. And sadly, that's the fourth official. Well, the opposition manager, there's no doubt about it. He's, he's, he's upset a lot of managers this season, but I don't mind his sort of passion because he understands what he's about and he's always directing from the sideline. He's always giving his players information. Frank, I never see him giving information. He's just looking to have a fight on the sideline with, with anybody that's not on the field of play. And I think that's the massive difference. Arteta has an understanding of what, what he wants as a manager because he's seen Pep Guardiola coach. He was under Pep. And Pep has this encyclopedia in his Bible uh, about every player that he wants in the game and every moment in the game. And I think that's why Arteta is streets ahead of Frank.
1: So just to check, do all three of you think he'll stay in management? No one thinks that this is it. He'll pull the pin and go to the media. I suppose other examples, Bridgie, you mentioned the MLS. Scott Parker has gone to Belgium to Club Brugge. Uh, we also saw Mark Hughes. He has dropped all the way down to League Two to manage Bradford City. I don't know if Frank Lampard does either of those jobs especially when the media could be right there waiting for him to pay him potentially as good a money with the far less pressure than management. I think
3: Frank's a winner and he'll want to prove everybody wrong and get get himself going and I don't think if fa- failure setbacks don't, don't um, hurt Frank. I th- I think he'll, he'll be looking for something to go you know as I'm going again and he's got a, if he's got any family members that he can rely on Jamie Redknapp and Harry Redknapp um you know are a huge part and influence in his life and they will they will be thriving on him to have another crack because frank is not a loser
2: not working in the media makes you a loser right bridgie but um <laughs> <laughs> he might use it as a stop gap until he finds I his didn't new
3: mean job it like that. <laughs> i've just totally
4: destroyed all of us haven't i <laughs> thanks amy <laughs> Uh, I, I agree, Bridget. I, agree I think he's, he's going he's gonna to stay in management. He's, he's going to go on a little holiday, have a think about his next opportunity and uh, he'll have his fingers on the pulse, I'm sure.
1: Let's talk about the title race and Arsenal's win against Manchester United. Amy, is what <sighs> Arsenal did a mark of a champion team? I mean, they're setting a crazy pace at yes. the moment, 50 <laughs> points at the halfway of the season. But what did you make of the thrilling finish to that game?
2: Well, hey, I was smiling till about the 89th minute when Odegaard put that gorgeous um, delivery into a Nakedia. But look, yes, it is the mark of a champion. I, I can't fault what they're doing at Arsenal. It's heartbreaking as a Manchester United fan to go down like that. But the game was a great game to watch. Um, Arsenal kept to their game plan. They kept putting the ball in there. They kept doing what they did, and eventually it paid off. Um, the fact that they're on fifty points halfway in the season is absolutely outstanding, and a, and a credit to not just Arteta and the players in the club, but he, he's really interesting because he, after the game um, in that interview, like he was happy. Obviously, he said it was a beautiful moment when they scored the goal, but he's still asking for more. He still thinks there's more improvement and more to gr- more growth and more improvement. Uh, and better football to come so I actually look forward to watching it
3: I have to say I've just been to Orlando, Florida for the Premier League weekend and we saw some. We saw three nil-nilers this weekend Leeds was one of the games Newcastle United was one of the games that I was covering over there and it was a massive fan event at Universal Studio and the people that came from all over the world to be in a fan event um, to watch all the Premier League games with ex-players and things there it was a massive success and the Arsenal and Manchester United fans just totally took over. And you know, when you have a fireworks display and you wait for the grand finale, thankfully, there was a game where everybody was just engrossed in it. And to see the, you know, I'm going to upset you here, Amy, to see that there was a winning goal came from right. Arsenal towards the end, um, I just thought it was fitting. And, and, and it, I think Arsenal deserved it. But I could just see all the Manchester United fans around us going, oh, there's two VAR decisions here. The first cross is offside. Oh, no, it's not. Nketiah's got to be offside. Oh, no, he's not. And it was just incredible. So um, I'm hoping and I'm I'm praying that we can try and get one of these events in Australia uh, for the Premier League because obviously up the sport with the right holders and to see fans just... Uh, for the three or four days in one venue it was absolutely amazing because it couldn't happen in England because there'd be scraps everywhere but it was the same culture as <laughs> Australia everybody was integrating with each other and it was a really good fan festival and that was the pin that was the um, the best the best match for the whole weekend
4: yeah no, I just think it's great to see all the Arsenal fans back out uh in in full flourish and and wearing their jerseys uh which we haven't seen for a while and and, and, and again I think it, it's 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 great uh the only the only thing I, i've I'm starting to hear now is it's destiny and you know this you know with that late goal and now you know it it's it's more or less a done deal, but there's still nineteen games to go there's a long long way uh so much can happen, but up until this point you can't fault anything they've done there I think you know signing Trossard just gives them that You know, a little bit of cover up front. And and nobody actually expected Nketiah to have any sort of role. But he has stepped in. Uh, You know, his stats are good. Uh, Maybe not defensively as good. uh, But, you know, his his, uh, attacking uh, parameters are off the charts. And and again, he's come up with these crucial goals, which is so important in in this run-in that's going to come fairly soon.
1: The other title contender is Manchester City and they had two games over the course of uh, the long weekend because they had to come... From 2-0 down to beat Tottenham and then they steamrolled Wolves. So at kickoff of Manchester United versus Arsenal, it was actually only two points the difference, Bridgie. But Arsenal's win re-establishes a bit of a gap once again. However, Manchester City, when they were 2-0 down against Tottenham, it looked like the title was only going to one place. So what did you make of the topsy-turvy weekend that Manchester City had that ended, of course, with an Erling Haaland hat-trick?
3: I thought the Erland Haaland hat trick was absolutely magnificent. You know, just the power that he showed. He he was he was back. He's fourth, fourth hat-trick of the season, by the way. Absolutely incredible. And I knew the moment Tottenham went two up that we were going to get beat because normally we go two behind and then we're going to come back and win um and it wasn't to be couldn't couldn't hold the nerve so you you know fair play to manchester city i think this is um it's shown that they're still still in this and they're going to push arsenal all the way definitely and I, you know what i really like about the whole thing that is going on how tight it actually is when you consider now it's kind of like a a five way i'd still say there's a five way race going on you you know i know arsenal've got one more game in hand but tottenham man united newcastle man city arsenal you, you know the the favourites are obviously Arsenal awesome because they're five clear, but anything can happen. Anything can happen, and it's just nice to know there's so many teams involved.
2: I think the race to the top is awesome um, this season, Bridget. But you just can't go past Haaland, can you? Like 25 Premier League goals since arriving. He, he, let's just remember the Golden Boot winner last year, or was shared between Son and Salah, and that was a total of 23 yeah. for the whole season. So he's going to well eclipse that. Um, I will say though Pep's comments about, you know, lack of home support after the game we interview in his interview were really interesting. And he also questioned the desire of his own players. So they're getting the results and, you know, they did fight back, obviously, but, but he's still got some question marks over there. Lack of, I think he said, lack of guts and passion and fire and
4: desire to win i just can't believe that bridger has chucked two of his favorite teams in there in a the title race in newcastle and tottenham i think bridger you must sit there two 0 up against man city and then just look at how they threw that away in the second half and now you've tra- you've thrown them in as a title contender i just can't believe it i'm stunned <laughs> got, to, got to try and show
3: some support and some faith, Tommy. We've got to, you know, I've I've talked them down. When there were two up, I knew we were going to lose because you don't get in that situation very often. <laughs> but I will say one thing, Teo. I'm delighted this week because Haaland got a hat-trick and you can just put that question to bed saying, has he really changed Manchester City? Yes, he has. And there he goes yet again.
1: So this weekend, Arsenal plays Manchester City in the FA Cup. Now, it's a different competition, but could what happens in this tie somehow be indicative of the way the title race is going to go or potentially plant seeds given that they are yet to face each other in the league. They've still got to play each other home and away because the fixture was moved due to the passing of the Queen. So, Amy, are you going to read a great deal into the FA Cup meeting between Arsenal and Manchester City over this weekend as to what direction it might send the Premier League title race?
2: No, because two different competitions and I think the coaches are going to look at it like that. Um... I think you also need to remember Man City have won 13 of 16 meetings with Arsenal in all competitions with Pep as a coach. Um, so, you know, stats clearly said on that side. But Arsenal have also won their last four FA Cup games against Man City So and made the final every time they've beaten Man City. So I think we need to, you know, it, it's a balance. It depends what you're going after. I think they'll both be out there to win. I think there's that... That uh you know mentor coach, kind of what do you call it student teacher relationship still goes on between them, and they 're still uber uber competitive, but um, i don 't think it'll have a bearing on the actual Premier League uh, itself
1: and one last one, Bridgie has tried to suggest that Newcastle, Manchester United, and even Tottenham are still in the title race, Thomas. Do we need to draw the line somewhere? Who who can actually win the title? I know we were talking about Manchester United after they won the derby, but did their title challenge with the draw against Crystal Palace and now the loss to Arsenal, did their challenge end as soon as it started?
4: Uh, Theo, I can guarantee you it's a two-horse race. I don't think anyone uh, in that top five, if we call it that, has uh, any chance outside of those two. Uh, it's going to go right to the wire. I don't think it's done and dusted. Um, uh, so I just can't wait for for the you know the, the rain, remainder of the season. I think it's going to be fantastic, and and I think City are going to just claw their way back into this.
2: Bridget, we can always live in hope, can't we? We'll always have hope that some miracle happens ah, and the hope. top There's, two hope. there's, always, there's and always hope. Newcastle or Manchester United just happen to sweep in and have this great run of form and, and take it out. There's always hope.
3: <laughs> just be careful what you wish for because you both laughed at me when you said Newcastle wouldn't finish top four. I'm still that's hanging true, on for that true. one as well.
4: <laughs> yes, but we do hope. Oh, but we, we're not discussing top four. I, I, think, I think they're going <laughs> to finish top four, Bridget, but title race,
0: now. Nah. Okay.
1: But it would be remiss of us to talk about Spurs and not go to Michael Bridges. So Bridgie, I think you'd have some heartwarming news this week that apparently Harry Kane is coming back to the negotiation table on a new contract and could even potentially finish his career with Tottenham if he signs on.
3: Absolutely great news! Delighted. Um, you know, equaling Jimmy Greaves' record is no mean feat. You know, two hundred and sixty-six goals, and no doubt he's, he will he will break the record, and then he'll probably start to hunt down Alan Shearer's um, all-time record. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing seeing what he's all about the negotiation tables. I don't care what they give him; just give him whatever he requests, um, because he, he for me is invaluable. And there is that big question mark. Will Will he end his career without a major trophy if he does sign for Spurs? Now, the difference between the two men in question I've just been talking about is Alan Shearer did actually win the Premier League with Blackburn Rovers. However, he went to Newcastle, he became the all-time leading goalscorer, Premier League's main goalscorer, and and he didn't win the Premier League. But he, he says with the... He, he still says and states that he made the right decision for his career because of what he did for Newcastle and he's a homegrown lad. So I think Harry Kane will stay. He'll sign a big contract. And I did actually bump into Alan Shearer over in Orlando. And I was saying, you know, he's, he's got Jimmy Grew's record. He's chasing you down, Alan. And the negotiations came up. Alan's suggestion was break all negotiations and he hopes to see him either go to Real Madrid or Bayern Munich because he doesn't want him in the Premier League to take his record. So I thought that was quite an Alan Shearer answer. It was brilliant.
1: Tommy, if you were in Kane's position, would you want to leave? How many chances does he actually have at his age and his wage for another club to actually come in and sign him though? Are there any realistic suitors to actually purchase him away from Spurs?
4: I would think it would be absolutely lunacy if he went to the Table and sign a new Spurs deal. Sorry, Bridgie. Um, you, know, he, you know, you know, you're talking about age. He's only 29. Like right? we, we're talking about, it like he's 35. You know, he's. I think he's he's a top professional. I think any team would benefit from his attitude, his, his skills, obviously, uh, his goal scoring. Uh, David Levy has come out and said that uh, you know the 150 that he he wanted for Man City is now down to 100 million. Uh, and I think. It, Manchester United, I think, will be perfect for him. I think the 100 million might sound steep uh, off the bat, but, you know, if he can give them four or five great years, uh, I think he is a culture bearer. uh, uh, And again, we'll get the goals uh, and even more goals in a team that, um, you know, is a lot more forward thinking with creative players like Fernandes, Eriksen, Rashford to support him. Uh, so I, I would love to see him at Manchester United in the Premier League, but I agree with uh, with uh, Aaron Shearer's uh, judgment as well. He would fit in nicely at any top club in, Euro- in Europe. Um, you know, I think uh, he's that good, and I would just love to see him somewhere else in Tottenham, unless his family doesn't want to leave. I, I just would love to see him uh, do. Do what he does best um, and win some trophies because I think he deserves it. He's a, Are he's you just doing this to legend. wind me up, Tommy? A little bit, but I'm also Are you realistic. Just doing this Bridget? to wind I'm me not. up because you're
3: saying, <laughs>
4: "Hey, you, you know, he deserves Mate, it. If I, he, he
3: signs for Manchester United, he's still going to finish his career. He's going to finish his career still with no trophies <laughs> if he signs oh, for United." Yeah. Oh, no,
4: I don't think so, Bridget. I don't think. I think they're moving in the right direction. I think there'll be challenges. I think he could be. With maybe one other signing, he could be what pushes Man United right up uh, alongside the two others.
1: You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. A quick break on the Geggin' Pod, and when we come back, we will get right into the relegation battle and who might be joining Frank Lampard in the managerial sack race. Welcome back to the Gegan Pod. We've got former Premier League stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen with us and former Matilda Amy Duggan. Now, we started the show with Frank Lampard, but quick fire, I want to go through some of the other teams that have managers in the hot seat and are still in the relegation battle. Bridgie, Leeds get a draw off Brentford, but they're winless in six. What's the current level of heat under Jesse Marsh?
3: Yeah, Jesse Marsh is, you know, he's got the team, Leeds United, sitting in 15th position at the moment. They have been playing nice football. They've been creating chances. So what, what the fans have been delighted with is the amount of chances that have been created. But it's the it's the conversion rate that hasn't happened. And turning the draws into wins, that is a huge thing, considering the start of the season was so good. And it was the first time that I'd seen Leeds United... Play a really attractive style of football, They were Playing a conference, it was the win over Cardiff in the replay in the FA Cup um, match, and that great. The, the, you know, they went to town. There was five goals. There was players coming on. Bamford getting two. Rodrigo got in the score sheet, and you know, there's a player that's come on, uh, Willie Nonto, who has come out of nowhere and they've become a fan's favourite instantly with his goals, and he's kind of given Jesse Marsh, you know, the the that style that he he's, he's been looking to possess now. The next few matches for Leeds United. you have got Manchester United twice in a week coming up, by the way. OK, because that was another game that was cancelled. So that's, there's two games in a row. There's big matches against, um, who else have they got coming in? Nottingham Forest, a team in and around them. Everton, a team in and around them. And Southampton a team and around them. So anything that Leeds can get out of the Manchester United games is a bonus. And it's them other three games that I mentioned. And they are the other ones that Jesse Morse is focusing on. Um and that that's what's been coming out of the the, the camp. That's what they're all looking towards.
1: Thomas, you mentioned David Moyes still has a job at West Ham. They've defeated Everton, but they weren't able to beat many other teams, and they're only one point above the drop. So is David Moyes still potentially heading for the exit door, or do you think the Everton win is the chance for him to save his skin and West Ham's?
4: You know, I think West Ham sh- should be safe, uh, and, and I hope he's safe as well. I think they've got a good enough squad, um, you know, compared to some of the others, and and, and I think the the good thing for Leeds and West Ham is that uh, all the other teams are, you know, <laughs> as bad, uh, if not worse. You know, you, you've seen teams, you know, the, the, the bottom three, Bournemouth, Southampton and Everton, I think, uh, you know, are, are not having a great time. They Southampton obviously got Nathan Jones in there. They've only got one win in five. Everton, no wins. And same with Bournemouth. So, you know, I, I just think if you can go on a little run, and, and I think West Ham will, I think they, they should be OK. And uh, you're looking probably all the way up to Crystal Palace uh, as the sort of last team that that could be drawn into to this relegation battle. I think Aston Villa are, are looking on the up and, and have had a good... You know, good run of form late, so they, they should be okay. So it's it's whoever, and we always see it every year. We we see one or two teams suddenly out of the blue finding some results. Uh, you know, maybe Leicester with Harry Suter, if he can go there, can uh, you know can can get a bit more stability and 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 get out of trouble as well. But it's it's anyone's game at the bottom. And as you said, Le- Leeds big games coming up. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, we talked about Frank obviously earlier, departing Everton, and Everton need to get something in somebody in quick because. I see Arsenal are up, then they've got Arsenal, then Liverpool, and then they've got three massive games against Leeds, Villa and Forest. Now, they need some form of stability because they are three games that they should be looking at to see we can try and get something out of this to lift them out of that relegation zone. And with West Ham, again, some tricky, tricky fixtures coming in the next three matches. Um, I think Moyes and West Ham will be safe. Um, I do fear for Everton. If they don't appoint the right person at the right time, it could be could be too late for them. But there is that window of opportunity in the next five games where I'd, I'd be looking to get in straight away. Somebody that can put the stamp on it and um, try and get some points on the board.
1: Now, the whole bottom half of the table is in relegation trouble. But would you be willing to say that Crystal Palace, seven points above the relegation zone, are the lowest safe team? Or even would you say they are still not necessarily clear? Of what could be a nine or ten team relegation battle.
4: Let, let, let's hope so. You know, again, uh, there's always two parts of the table. There's the relegation, which is, you know, sometimes even more exciting than than the actual title race. And uh, the more teams involved, the more interesting games we can watch on up to sport. So, uh, you know, again, I think Palace is probably, as I said before, that the the lowest side uh, or the highest place that that can be drawn in. I still think they'll be safe. Um, but I just you know, again it's it always brings surprises, always brings drama, and, and again I think it's gonna go right to the wire this year with, with that many teams involved.
3: I think that's a nice level at Taylor where you've gone to there when you've gone to Crystal Palace, um when you when you do look at that table because you look at Villa ahead of them, another four points, twenty-eight points. I think that's the eleventh place I I believe I can say it. it's before Forest, Leicester, Leeds, West Ham Wolves and obviously the bottom three. I think, it's, um, yeah, I think they're safe, and I think Crystal Palace is the good, the good line now. I'm going to say that they are safe. Vieira's done a good job, and for me, his biggest challenge is going to be what he can hold on to in January and come the end of the season because they've got some very talented players in that final third.
1: Let's go around the world of football because, of course, La Liga is live and exclusive on Optus Sport. There's plenty going on in Europe and even some stories a bit closer to home, which I want to hear the panel's thoughts on. But we'll start with La Liga because Real Madrid and Barcelona both won in unconvincing fashion at the weekend. This weekend, Real Sociedad, who are in third, played Real Madrid and they have a chance to draw level on points. And, Amy, this is a bit unexpected because when we headed off to the World Cup break, Real Madrid just snuck in a few bad results there and they kind of let Barcelona Barcelona sneak away at the top of La Liga. And since coming back from the World Cup break, Barcelona may not have been blazing, but they have been winning. And now Real Madrid could, unthinkably, get drawn into a tie for third.
2: Well, it makes it exciting for a change in uh, La Liga rather than just having, you know, an out-and-out winner sitting on the top the whole time. So I welcome that always. I welcome the competition. Um, Yeah, Barca are not playing well, but I guess, you know, they've had some upsets this week truly, too, with the the Danny Alves news. And that was a really big shock, I think, to everybody. But what is happening on the pitch is that they're getting the job done. They're getting the points. And that's really all that matters at the moment while they're in this lull. If they were playing badly and dropping points, I'd be, you know, you'd be way more concerned. But to make it exciting, bring it on. And, you know, as we said, Real Madrid, three points off the top. They've only dropped two of their last five. Um, I welcome the competition.
1: Thomas I wanted to go to the Netherlands because Matt Ryan made his AZ Alkmaar debut in a 3-1 win against Fortuna and AZ are only two points behind Feyenoord at the top of the table so it's great to see that Matt Ryan has gone into a good situation and all of a sudden finds himself in a challenge to win the Eredivisie.
4: The Dutch league is a fantastic league Uh, you know we we see what Ajax do in in the Champions League Uh, you know Feyenoord um uh, as well so you know and and he said won the championship uh, as it four or five years ago so, so they've got the pedigree there as well great little stadium so i think it's a perfect setup for him just to get some game time i think overall that that was the most important thing uh, and he has a chance now to to build from there as you said it's a title challenge um potentially obviously european football next year and, uh, you know, it's great for the Socceroos. I think that that was on the back of the World Cup. We needed uh, him to to get out and get some game time. And, and, and what a situation he's landed in. Uh, it seems to be a well-run club. Everything that goes on, they've got that clear strategy. So, you know, he should be safe uh, coming from all the debacle at FC Copenhagen.
1: Now, one of the major European leagues, the Serie A, had a bomb dropped on it last week. Juventus hit... With a 15-point deduction, it means that Napoli are suddenly 12 points clear at the top of Serie A. In, in a sense, Bridgie, I think that the Napoli fans, they've been waiting since 1990 in the days of Diego Maradona to win the Scudetto. They won't care if they win, but I think there is around a football a real sense of not like this. I mean, Juve getting busted and, and getting a points deduction again.
3: It, it's history repeating itself, isn't it? it it's, they always seem to find themselves... Getting found out and caught for the for the for the massive events or the misdemeanors, they they're getting punished and, you know, it 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 it's got to be done. If you if you're getting caught, you're getting found out, and you've been doing things, it will come back to haunt you, and sadly it has. But you know, I th- I think you asked me in the last um, gig and pod that we were doing if if the you know Napoli get the result um, over Juve, and I think they did convincingly. Uh, absolutely smashed them. And I think that's the title race done and dusted. And it's, I think it's um, very fitting because, you know, with the days of Maradona being there and watching them this season, they have been super, super impressive. The, the, the attack and football that they play, it's, it's just a joy to watch.
1: And, Amy, the, the sentimentality is, is easy to lean into because Argentina has won the World Cup for the first time since the passing of Maradona. And now Napoli might win Serie A. Yeah. I mean, if, if anything, this uh, frees them up a little bit, this points gap, to really go hard for the Champions League too, which would be unthinkable that they might be a, a surprise contender to win a, win a double.
2: I'm pretty sure when we set out at the beginning of the season, they weren't the team on any of our lists to uh, top the Serie A or even go through in the Champions League. So uh, I think it's wonderful. It's a shame that there's not a bit more competition there and a 5 1 drubbing of a team that we all love to see at the top and doing well. it it, it was a real eye-opener to what the gap actually is. Um, But, you know, as far as Juve goes, this is a big hit again for them, but also for the game because I think uh, in the league itself, people, we we, want to think that it's all fair and equal and that financial fair play keeps us all lined up. But I guess it just shows the reality of the situation. There are clubs, they're spending a lot of money, but there are also clubs there spending a lot of money and looking for loopholes to uh, spend even more, I guess. Um, can we also mention a couple of other Aussies that have gone overseas this week? Because James uh, jego has gone to Hibernian, uh, Nick DiAgostino's left Melbourne Victory and, and he's gone to Norwegian Club Vikings. So it's really cool to see Aussie players um, flying the coop.
1: And uh, Thomas, just one last one. The the football business side of things with this Juve points deduction, obviously for, for those not familiar with the story, Uh, In a sentence, it's to do with inflated prices for players who perhaps did not merit uh, that sort of price. And there were a number of complicit clubs that helped Juve to cook the books essentially by agreeing to inflated transfer fees. Do you you think this is a be-careful-what-you-wish-for situation and it might unravel world football? Or is it a case that perhaps the worst offender has been sacrificed here to scare away anyone else who's thinking about it?
4: You know, I, th- I think they had the, uh, you know, the scandal uh, in Italy. Is it ten years ago as well? Um, it just seems to be a governance problem, uh, specifically there. Um, uh, and and yeah, it, it's probably a wider thing, and and somebody's going to take the fall. And 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 by putting Juventus down, it's it's obviously uh, it's going to scare a lot of people away. Um, you know, and and it it has wide reach as well. We we've, we've seen Paratisi, the managing director at Spurs. He's he's been involved. He was obviously at Juventus before, so he could potentially be banned. So it, it's not just going to hit Italy. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna throw some some. Uh, Know, in the water around Europe as well and and yeah and, and my, you might try to understand now understand now why this push for the Super League now you know there's and Juventus were one of the the big parts of that is is uh, you know it, it comes down to money and uh, they, they've, they've seemed to have obviously had some issues there I know one thing there'll be a few people running for the um, for the hills after this has um, sent shockwaves around
3: because Like Tommy said, there is going to be a lot of people taking cover, wearing the crash helmet and thinking, please don't come for me. Um, And I think there'll be a lot more getting exposed.
1: Let's talk about the biggest story closer to home this week in Australia. Dwight York leaving MacArthur. This comes after he delivered some home truths in the the dressing room after the loss to Adelaide and it left the club with no choice but to cut tyres because York reportedly blasted the players, the club, the crowds, the league and the game broadly in Australia. Michael Bridges, given that Dwight York did actually win a trophy, the Australia Cup, in his 13-game stint, can it possibly be considered a success?
3: Well, I think you've got to consider it a success because he's delivered. He's delivered a trophy and it was in such a short frame of time and... You've got a you've got a credit, Dwight, coming back to Australia to get his you know he's played at Sydney FC. He he won things when he was a player there, and he's gone and take try to influence that um, winning mentality and what he is about, and he, he he did that. He delivered, and unfortunately in the league they haven't been getting uh, as many results as they would have done because they started so well, and obviously whatever has gone on behind closed doors has not gone down well with the players. It's definitely not gone down well with the owners and the CEO that have have witnessed what has been said. In the manner in which he's delivered it, Uh, maybe he's gone a bit Alex Ferguson old school, and Fergie used to um, give the hairdryer treatment out, and thinking that it could influence and impact the players. Maybe um, we're a different generation, or this you know we're a different generation. It depends what's being said. Can you speak to people like that these days? We don't know. I don't know what's being said anyway, and I think it's been a mutual consent where he's felt Dwight's felt undermined. Um, he's trying to put his authority on and by all accounts, there were some staff members got involved to say en- enough's enough. So if you feel that way and you want to leave and they were not happy, um, it's it's been handled because if you remember um, Marcus Babble, when he was coach of um, West Sydney Wanderers, and he, he never said anything good about the league when he got sacked, it was almost like sour grapes. Uh, felt like he was trying to save his own career by slagging off everything about Australia. And um, when he went back to Germany and saying, why did you fail? He he felt that it was right to save his reputation. Dwight hasn't done that. Dwight's gone about it in a manner where he's had a go at the players, thinking it was going to be the best thing to do to kickstart them. And sadly, it's been the downfall of his of his reign.
2: I think there's a little bit more to it than that, Bridgie, yeah, I, I, as well. I, I think there's some blurred lines between management and coaches' responsibilities and, and what's going on behind the scenes and, um, you know, Dwight comes with credibility was it a success tayo I think it was for Dwight until it got to the end where he's obviously not happy with the standards he made comment of that publicly when uh, he first came in and he said oh the club doesn't have things that it needs to have and credit to the club they forked out and they got him everything that he asked for but ultimately at the end of the day you know there is a um, there's always a battle, I think, between coach and club of who's actually in control. And I don't think um, they managed to find that balance very well. And I agree with you, Bridgie. I think the spray was there to, to, to motivate the players and to ask them to lift to a standard that they're not quite at at the moment. And I think he wanted more and he, he wanted to come in here and say, this is how it should be done and really raise the standard. And um, I think he did that for a period of time, but ultimately the, you know, they couldn't get the balance right.
3: Do you know the ironic side of this is that Dwight called his team a pub team but Dwight's nickname when he was at Sydney FC was All Night Dwight. So he was treating it like a like. Well a was a a he was good at a drink and Sydney he'd know FC. all about
2: the pub, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah.
3: Well there you go. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> the, that's the ironic side when he's 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 used that reference and I don't think that went down very well, obviously with with players and staff the way it was de- um delivered.
4: You know, I, I think he, he's definitely touched on, on some truth there. I, I think that there, there is uh you know, a, a lack of understanding of the professional game among some of the young players, among some of the you know, the the people who are in charge of clubs. Um but there's also a way of going about it like we've all been in dressing rooms and and there's a fine margin as a manager of what you can convey to players and what is actually productive you can tell some truths you can you can be honest and you can be direct but but I, it just sense I just get the feel that he's gone overboard uh, you know he's been too direct he's he's smashed some players and and then you just lose credibility and and when you've lose cred- credibility as a manager from you know, from staff and players, uh, you know, there's sadly only one way. So uh, I think it's a frustration. Uh, he's he's thrown his dummy out of the pram a little bit, or just toys out of the pram there. And, and um, yeah, <laughs> there was only one way, it seems, after that.
1: Bridgie, I guess you're in a good position to assess this for us, given that Dwight York's reputation is worldwide in football. And what he says about the league will carry far more weight in the UK uh, and in the English-speaking world outside Australia than... Uh, whatever lack of credibility his acrimonious exit here may have caused. So how damaging could this be to the A-League? I mean, earlier in the pod we were talking about could Frank Lampard take the job at Melbourne City? Is this the sort of thing where Dwight York's comments are going to leave a really damaging legacy here for the reputation of the competition?
3: Well, it's interesting because when, when, it, when the news broke that Dwight had been, or he had left, um, there wasn't much of an insight given as to why. And a lot of the lads that I was speaking to that were over at the the fans fest. In America, the um, and people that were from England were saying, "Oh, I wonder if that's a sign that Dwight's going to be coming back to manage in England." Has he kind of gone and said enough's enough? Did he have a clause in his contract where he said he needs to go? And terminate by mutual consent, so he can take another opportunity back in the UK. And obviously, as times roll, so that shows the shockwaves and the magnitude of what Dwight York leaving a club has gone around. And obviously, then we've been filtered more news as to why it's happened and what's happened. And you know, yes, it could be quite damaging for the A League, for the clubs and Macarthur themselves, um, but also for Dwight because he's going to have to, he's going to come out and have to want to have his say on the matter. Because the other people now are going, oh, hang on, what's going on here? This, this could go against Dwight getting future jobs should something um, you know, damning come out about his um, behaviour in the dressing room. Um, so he'll, he'll want to tidy this up. So I'm, it's going to be very interesting over the next few weeks and um, over the next month to see what he has to say about the whole thing. And then I think we'll be talking about bit on the Gagan pod as, as to how damaging it could be for either him or for the A-League in general.
2: Well, because at first, Bridgie, the rumour was he was going to go and take over Sydney FC, which I was just sure Steve Corica was going, what's going on here? But, um, <laughs> but, but ultimately, you know, that hasn't transpired yet. So we wait and see what the next move is.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, one last one for Tommy. Uh, Dwight York's gone. Charlie Austin's gone. Nanny's injured. And other targets like Cristiano Ronaldo and Luis Suarez said, no, thanks. Does the A-League need to pivot away from the sugar hit strategy of going for the big names? I guess you were a big name that came to the A-League. You've lived that experience. So give us your perspective. What is actually the answer here, given they've, they've had so many misfires, be it on the field or off this season, with the big names that they've attracted?
4: Yeah, no, it's obviously been bad luck. I think uh, there, there's things going on. Um, obviously, the, it, the unfortunate injury for Nani. I don't think he had the, the impact on the pitch that you had hoped. Uh, Austin, obviously, there was other issues. Um, you know, I don't think Ronaldo Serrares was ever realistic. But but we need, you know, we need foreign players uh, f- for their name, yes, but also for the culture and, and for the professionalism, the knowledge, Because I think the knowledge is even more important uh, than the actual name. Just having players who who had played at the highest level among a lot of, we see a lot of talented young players in the A League, uh, but they need someone to look up to. We see, you know, Diamante, you know, despite losing his legs a little bit, you know, he's still a leader, he's still a a talisman for for, for Western United and, and has played a big part there. So, so to to say that they have to pivot away, I, I I don't I don't agree with it. I think we still need it, but I think the league also needs to you know put their finger in the ground and 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 focus maybe more on, on young talent, uh, be a bit of a feeder. We've seen the the young players that go abroad. This is what we want more of. So you know it has to be the right balance, and and I think that's where the the league needs to look. Another thing I'll add to that, Tommy,
3: is the. You've just talked about the leadership and the, you know, the European flair, the world flair of the best footballers, trying to get them and use their experience and knowledge of the game, and also embrace what they're about. Because I've obviously been over there for twelve, thirteen years. I've seen it from a playing side, I've seen it from a coaching side, and I've seen it from a neutral side where I haven't been involved in the game. And I, what is what was upsetting to me is that some managers feel so. Uh, scared and worried about these players coming to the end of their careers that have got a massive influence, and they don't embrace them. They kind of think, "Oh, I've got to keep you away because my job is threatened." They shouldn't feel like that. You've got to embrace it. You need to because you've got to try and maximise, uh, maximise that. And that was one of the worrying things I've seen from a from a couple of of my experiences. In that league, where some of, the, you know, some of the players have been and felt like they've been shown the door rather than saying, oh, would you like to come and get involved in the football club? I was very lucky that at the time when I was there, I was given an opportunity to become a coach inside that football club. Whereas I've seen others and heard from others where they've, they've just been shown the door um, and I think they should, should have embraced it to keep people like that that understand the world game to pass on that knowledge to the younger generation over in Australia.
1: Let's bring home the Gegenpod pod with some women's football and the WSL. But Amy, unfortunately it's a lack of women's football that we are talking about from the weekend. What happened?
2: Well, six of the games got postponed or abandoned because the grounds were frozen. The ice on the grounds actually made them unsuitable for play. Now, Uh, The Chelsea-Liverpool game was abandoned after six or seven minutes. We saw players slipping over. We saw ice burns. Um, Fan groups have, you know, blasted this. Emma Hayes has come out and had her same – Liverpool's coach, Matt Beard, the same – um, uh, personally, I just think it comes back to that conversation we were having about bigger stadiums, Thomas. And you know, we've seen we've seen crowds coming into the WSL now, and we've looked at upgrading the facilities for the women. And you know, it says a lot about the facilities. They were using blowers to try and warm up the field and get the ice off. Um, I think it was Emma Hayes that called for under pitch heating for for women's fields. Um, it's been installed in some of the big grounds, like Goodison Park had it installed back in the late '50s. What are we doing, people? Either let Let them play at the good fields that have all the facilities or or pay the money to upgrade. Um, It's time for that right now. Uh, On the games that were played, the Tottenham-Leicester game and Brighton Arsenal were also postponed, Um, I think the – The weather is something you can't control, obviously. I've only ever played in the snow a couple of times, so I'll revert to Bridgie on on how that's handled by the players. But we did see Manchester United win 1-0 over Reading. That puts them equal on points with Chelsea and actually top of the table. And in some great news for them this week, um, it's come out, I think, just yesterday that they will play a match at Old Trafford in March. So perhaps we're on the right track.
1: So just just on this, before we get into talking about experiences playing in the snow and the ice... um, My impression of this is that the English press pack were just outraged and there was no real lateral thought. The only answer given was spend more money. Amy, is that a bit simplistic or do you think there's an opportunity for innovation here that's, you know, basically my interpretation of the English media was it was a bunch of whinging poms.
2: Oh, that's nice, um, oh, especially when it's about the women's game. I, I think there's two sides to this. Yes, spend more money by upgrading the fields that they have, but also we, we could have been a bit uh, smarter and just said, okay, well, what where can we move the games that might work to fields that – are playable. Um, we do have that option, by the way. We're actually allowed to step onto, you know, the Goodison Parks, the the Theatre of Dreams. It's not a big deal if we can try and fit in with with the schedule. Um, but it it also is an opportunity, I think, for um, the marketing side of things and and for the call for women's facilities to be upgraded. And that's probably where the spend of the money comes from.
3: I have to say, it wasn't just the women's game that had this problem as well. There were so many games postponed across the whole the whole country because the weather that hit uh, Manchester Airport was closed due to snow. So I think it caught everybody off guard um, in this instance because it has been so extreme. But I, I agree with you, Amy. There, there is opportunities and moments where you can look ahead, you can plan and you can think, right, can we move this game to somewhere? Uh, we're 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 going to get the best out of it, whether that's on on a, on three G or they whether are they allowed? I don't know. Artificial, not too sure. That can be swept off far easier than it can on grass. But um, yeah, the undersoil heating, there's loads of Premier League grounds have that, and if you've got Premier League women's teams involved, then it should be it should be easy accessible as long as it doesn't interfere in uh, or or cross with each other when the schedules are out.
1: It is the big picture answer, Amy, that instead of having a FAWSL that the Premier League needs to actually take some responsibility for the women's side of the game. And the easiest way to equalise the spending is to rebrand the WSL as the Women's Premier League and, and have it come under the same umbrella.
2: I don't really care what it's called. Just let them play on the same pitch. Same club. Are you not? Um, you know, we, we see it down and it's done well in Australia in some clubs, not all clubs, but some clubs where, you know, there's equal facilities, equal training facilities, equal gyms, equal standards. I don't understand. Um, and especially in England, Bridgie, where the women are doing way better than the men, Why um, it's not, why it's not just equal. If they're top-class players playing at the top level, playing in World Cups, and they're playing in the top league in the world, the facilities should match the class of play.
3: Hey, Amy, you don't need to sell it to me. I've told you, I'll not be supporting England men in the in the Euros. And all that. I'm a Lioness now.
1: Thomas, what were the worst <laughs> conditions you played in? Because I suppose the, the Scandinavian countries definitely have their... Um, adjustments in order to deal with the weather, be it indoor stadiums be it synthetics, but what is actually the worst conditions that you were told, the game's going ahead go out and play
4: uh, uh, You know, I, my whole childhood uh, every winter was uh, playing on uh, rock hard pitches uh, there was no undersoil heating or astroturf back in those days and I Imagine being a keeper being when you've got week. a really good uh,
2: team of strikers
4: <laughs> yeah, Oh my god Oh horrible uh, and, and at that time i didn 't dare say anything to the manager i didn 't dare say nah, i don 't think it 's the right time to not dive around, uh, but yeah, again, you know, I remember we played uh, Crystal Palace a couple of times. We actually went down to London. The game got postponed because of a pro- frozen pitch. They tried to put uh, a big tent over there and, and with blowers as well, and we played a couple of days later and the pitch was all, you know, semi-frozen, and it was absolutely horrible. Uh, I think it's the first time I've ever worn moles. I couldn't wear studs because they they couldn't uh, actually get into the ground. Uh, and we had a couple of players pull up with injuries, and we lost the game. So that was an absolute horrific night. Uh, so so it, it is a thing that's, you know, hopefully a, a thing of the past at the top level. We, we need the women's, as as you said. We need them to play on better grounds, especially during these conditions. But, and again, every winters game at Stoke as well felt like a bloody winters, <laughs> uh, horrible, windy conditions. So, uh, but yeah, now early in my career for sure there was some horrors. Tommy, you know what I used look, to look forward to? The, the Sundland old training ground, the
3: Charlie Hurley Centre. When you saw the snow coming and it was landing and Peter Reid was like, get yourselves in boys, you're not having the day off. And what I used to love, we used to get the YTS lads and I was a YTS myself, I've done this. Instead of getting rid of all the snow, what we would do, we would actually just draw, uh, sorry, scrape the lines out on the outer side of the field and then get the orange football out and just play on top of the snow and it was absolutely brilliant. Because you'd be running down the wing, and then all of a sudden you'd have the lad chasing you, or he's coming towards you. And I remember Mickey Gray just pinging a snowball right full of my face, and then took the ball off us. So it was just little, just messing moments like that. I used to love, absolutely love the Christmas period when your your new training was going to be on in that snow, just to just to get everybody and have a bit have a bit of fun as well as um, as well as get a bit of a you know your, your game play across.
1: And with that, we say thank you to Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen and Amy Duggan. The Premier League is off this weekend but returns with a bang on Saturday, February 4 when Chelsea host Fulham from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. La Liga has a Saturday morning game with Almeria hosting Espanyol from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and don't miss Barcelona's trip to Girona from 2.15am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday and Real Madrid's clash with Real Sociedad from 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. And the WSL is set to resume on Sunday night from 10.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Leicester City taking on Manchester City and don't miss Sam Kerr's Chelsea playing Tottenham on Sunday night at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure to subscribe to The Geggin' Pod and rate us five stars while you're there. I've been your host, Teo Pellazeri. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gegan Pod.